Good morning. Welcome to Rimrock Church. What a beautiful day, huh? Man, driving up the hill, it's like, God, you have blessed us with this place. And he blessed us with a little precipitation, which we needed desperately, right? Don't have to worry about forest fires now. That is good. God knows what he's doing. Amen? Let's, uh, let's do... Let's do this song. Let's lift him up and bring everybody in. Here we go. Your forgiveness. Come on. It's like sweet, sweet honey on my lips. Like a sound of symphony to my ears. It's like holy water. Sweet, sweet honey 
is our prayer over you, over ourselves this morning. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you. Be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Sing that again. Come on, everybody. Lord bless you and keep you. Make your space shine upon you. Be gracious to you. Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Thank you, worship team. Good morning. I know Tom told me he's trying to write a song, but I don't know, Tom. <laughs> okay, all right. Hey, welcome to Rimrock Church. Such a blessing to be together. And don't we need that reminder that God is for us? 
that God's heart is one of salvation. He's for us. His blessing is upon us. And in a world where there's a lot of trouble, and this past week I've been thinking a lot about this word sufficient, sufficiency. And uh, I don't know about you, but sometimes life doesn't go the way I think it should. Or sometimes it feels like, man, things are hard. This is not, not what I expected. Do, do any of you feel that sometimes? <laughs> I sure do. But this is what we're going to learn about in Philippians this morning, that there's sufficiency. In this passage, there's sufficient courage. Right, Nick? There's going to be sufficient courage. But also thinking there's sufficient grace. Isn't that awesome? That God's grace is sufficient for whatever we go through, whatever we face, whatever you are wrestling with this morning, God's grace is sufficient. <laughs> Isn't that good news? Let's hold on to that. Let's receive that. So welcome. Uh, if you're new with us, we just uh, are so happy, so blessed that you're with us this morning to worship God. There's a little card in front of you. We'd love for you to fill that out so we can get to know you. Our, our vision at Rimrock Church is to be a community. And so we believe the church isn't just a building. It's not just a, a place we come. It's not just a service we attend. It's a people. It's a people that belong to Jesus. In Philippians, we're learning about this powerful word, in Christ. We're a community in Christ. We're a community being transformed. God is changing us. He's making us into a new kind of people. This is God's plan. His redemption, his restoration, his hope for the world is you and I being restored, being made new, being made like Christ. It's beautiful, and that's what the church is. And so we want to invite you into the community, and that's why uh, we want to get to know you. We want to uh, hear your story. We want you to feel like you're with other believers, other followers of Christ on this journey in this life. So uh, fill out that card. There's a welcome uh, desk in the uh, foyer in the gathering place, and uh, there's a place there where you can get more information about how to plug into Rimrock Church. So uh, I, uh, I just talked to Pastor Boomer this morning. He's our family pastor, and there's a, a new uh, group that's forming starting this morning at 9 o'clock. And so uh, if you're a parent, are there some parents in this place? Boy, talk about life not going the way you expect or think. <laughs> With kids, you never know what's going to happen. So there's going to be a group just talking about parenting issues, parenting in Christ. How do we, how do we raise our children to, to know Christ, to to you know, how do, we, how do we raise our children? And so uh, Pastor Boomer is going to be leading that at the 9 o'clock hour, and I encourage you to check that out. That's going to be downstairs in room 109. It's 12 weeks. It's going to be very practical and just get to real, the heart of behavior and, and our kids. So I, I know uh, Jill and I have benefited so much from Pastor Boomer and, uh, and some of his training and teaching. Uh, we're going to have, uh, on October 27th, a uh, trunk or treat. Uh, events here on a Wednesday night. We're going to kind of pause all our Wednesday night activity, and we're, and, and this is an opportunity for us not only to bless our own families and our church, but also to reach out in our community. Uh, over the last couple of years, we've had uh, dozens and dozens of kids from our neighborhood who aren't normally part of the church come, and we get to know them and know their parents, and so it gives us an opportunity to reach into our neighborhood and our community. So that's October 27th, and uh, we're taking candy donations as well. Would you join me in prayer as we continue in our worship. Lord, thank you for your presence. We just sang this morning that you are before us, behind us, above us, around us. Uh, but Lord, it's not just, uh, it's not just a mystical presence. It's a, it's a reality of the Holy Spirit in us. Because of Jesus, you have made it possible for us to be in communion with you. And I just pray for anyone here who's this morning feeling like they don't have enough. They're overwhelmed. They're facing difficulty. They're facing overwhelming circumstances. I pray that, Lord, that you would remind us of your sufficiency and that you are more than able, that you are more than enough to give us what we need to get through whatever we're facing, whatever is coming upon us, that, Lord, you are more than enough. So, God, bless us. Encourage us, Lord, as we point our hearts and our eyes and our ears towards you, that, God, we would see your glory and your majesty, and your beauty, and that you are worthy of praise. You are worthy of our lives, and we can trust you this morning. Lord, may you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 We learned this song over the last couple of weeks. It's become our theme our Philippians series.
Let's give the Lord a hand. God, you are so good. Thank you for tearing up our chains, God. And just continue to do that in our lives. Free us. And as Nick comes, God, we know that you have something to say to each one of us today, God. That you've been whispering into his ears something you want to tell us. And so, God, we pray against all the distractions in our mind that would keep us from focusing on what you're wanting to say right now, God. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Good morning, Darcy. Praise and worship team, thank you once again. Uh, some, sometimes I give the, the praise leader more to go by than other weeks, and... Uh, God always seems to work out the set. So I hardly gave Tom anything this week. And uh, the selection and, and the spirit moved, so it was perfect. And God, God keeps doing what he does and shows up and glorifies himself and encourages his body. So thank you all for partnering, uh, praise team, and thank you all for joining us. Um, we're walking through the book of Philippians and we'll set a little bit of context. Uh, ben did a few weeks ago. Bill did yesterday, or last week. So we'll try to go through this again. Uh, essentially, Paul is writing from prison. Uh, you can cross-reference this in Acts 16. It talks about why he's in prison. He's, he's proclaiming the way of Jesus Christ. And he's uh, creating some activity. And one such activity, this fortune-telling Lady is following him around, proclaiming that this man is proclaiming salvation through Jesus. So she's, she's proclaiming truth, but because it's an interesting source, and you get this in like demonic activity as well, uh, Paul hushes her and doesn't want her to, even though proclaiming truth, in, in a sense it could be very confusing coming from uh, a source that doesn't reflect truth. So he quiets her, and her owners, who get very rich off her fortune-telling, obviously are upset. He just reached into their, their wallets, if you will. And so that's why uh, Paul is in prison for proclaiming truth and um, causing a stir and essentially taking these guys as a uh, source of income. And so as he's in prison, he is writing a letter to the Philippian church, which he helped plant uh, beforehand. And you recognize that, that the Philippians have a great history with Paul. They are ministry partners. Uh, they have financially supported him. Uh, but more than that, they're great friends. They have been an encouragement in prayer and an encouragement in sending people to him. And so there's this very good, strong connection that Paul has with the Philippian church. And you can feel that throughout the entire book. And uh, as he is proclaiming uh, thanksgiving to them, you realize these are probably pretty healthy people. This is a from what we, we have from uh, Scripture, this is a healthy group of people, a godly group of people, and Paul is encouraging them 
to continue to grow in the Lord, encouraging them to continuing uh, to be what they're about and, and go higher and deeper in their relationship. And quick, neat story. I was reading this uh, a little while back, and I was in Philippians 1 and reading over it and trying to uh, think through what Paul may have been going through. And I was sitting in my chair in the morning reading this book um, that's, you know, nearly 2,000 years old. And at the same time, I had my list of ministry partners and donors and friends that support me in my ministry. And so I'd walked through that, and I was um, praying over these people, and I was uh, thanking God for them. And um, it just dawned on me and struck me and hit me that the same thing that Paul is doing, I got to experience. The same thankful heart, the same friendships, the same... Uh, moving forward in the kingdom that he was doing and writing a letter that we get access to, uh, I was doing the very same thing, you know, thousands of years later. So I shot a quick text to my friend, and it was such an encouragement to me. And my encouragement to you is, uh, God has always been moving. And he was moving in the heart of a man named Paul and his friends in Philippi. And he's moving in my heart, and he's moving in your heart and your friends across this city, within this church, across the globe. And so the same God is proclaiming the same message of salvation through Jesus Christ, and he deeply desires to use you, and he deeply desires to use me, to not only minister to us, but to minister through us. And so there's this sweet picture of this story being our story, but ultimately about the person of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to ask you to do something a little different. Instead of me praying for our service, um, whether you're in your chairs or whether you're at home, uh, would you pray for, one for me, uh, that the Spirit of God would move. Uh, pray for yourself. Pray for the brothers and sisters next to you. Uh, pray for those who maybe don't know Jesus. But in, in a sense, just quickly, uh, pray for our time together, if you would. So God, please hear our prayers. Amen. If you weren't done, you can keep praying. But I'm going to start talking. i got a lot to say. So, uh, There's some different themes that we gather, that we pick up in the book of Philippians, and, and a couple of them are pretty universally accepted by theologians and scholars, um, and that's uh, joy and peace. So you continually hear these words, and um, they're impressed upon each page, is this idea of joy and peace that if you think about it, it's not only pretty universally agreed upon, but it's universally desired, is it not? Like, who does not want joy and who does not want peace? And I really believe to find joy and to find peace, to have those things that are lasting, those things that are secure, I think they come, uh, two words just keep coming to me over and over and over in search of this, because I think we're all searching for it. Jesus and grace. Jesus and grace. I don't think we should separate those two words very far ever. I think we experience grace when we come to know Jesus. And I dare talk about one when I don't talk about the other. And so we'll unpack more of what that means, but I really believe if we want peace in our hearts, if we want joy in our lives, that it is going to come through this relationship with Jesus Christ and the grace that he bestows upon us over and over and over. Now, the interesting thing, when I read through Philippians and we get this idea of joy, it's mentioned often, but I think more than anything, this, this happiness is, is caught more than taught. It's not like Paul tells, commands a whole lot to be happy and then tells us how. He just is happy. And through his situation, when people look upon his life and recognize in Acts, it talks about him being um, imprisoned, chained with his feet, gives a picture of what, what prison was like for him in this situation. Uh, gives stories of him uh, singing hymns and continuing to praise as he's within prison. And he goes on, which we'll get to when we start reading through Philippians, about the impact that that is having. And you can't help but to catch some of that hope, some of that passion, some of that peace that goes beyond circumstance and understanding. 
And I'm sure in your life you have these different experiences or these different pictures of people or moments that whatever they have, you want. You want some of that confidence. You want some of that joy. You want some of that resolve. You want that smile in a good way. And understanding and recognizing when you come upon a person that has something that is almost indescribable, uh, I really believe that's Jesus Christ. And I believe that's what's taking place specifically in this book as people watch Paul live his life. Listen to, uh, from our book, if you guys have one of these Follow Me books, I recommend you pick one up. It gives kind of some summary with questions. It says, This life in Jesus produces a life that is unmistakably marked by joy and peace and rich relationship with God's people, perseverance in trial and suffering, and a living hope in the resurrection of Jesus and his kingdom to renew all things. An unmistakable mark of joy and peace in relationship with God and his people, perseverance through trial and suffering, a living hope in the resurrection of Jesus and his kingdom plan to renew all things. The other thing I pick up in Paul uh, that we catch all throughout a lot of his life is he has this can't-lose attitude. And he, he continues this here. As he says, the, kind of the infamous, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Towards the end of his life, when he's marching to Jerusalem and his friends are saying, Paul, Paul, don't go, they're going to kill you. And he says, oh, you're breaking my heart. I'm not only ready to be bound, but I'm ready to die. Here's a man who believes he, he can't lose. To, to go on living, he's going to express Christ to all people. He is, as Ben put it a few weeks ago, the gravitational pull of his life is Jesus. To Paul, Jesus is everything. And so whether he lives, he continues to express his sole purpose for existence, to receive love from God and to spread that to other people. And if he dies, he understands. If he's in prison, he understands. Even in my suffering, when people see the hope that is in me, that is totally by the grace of God, he's going to glorify God. So not just in my suffering, but even in my death, as I die with a smirk on my face and a song in my heart, that's going to do something to people. So Paul is in this place that certainly he suffers, and he feels the pain of that, but he's in this place because of Christ and because of his grace, because he knows he is anchored and kept by God, that in some ways he has this can't-lose attitude. And we'll see and unpack a little bit more that the only way you can get to this point, I believe, and I believe Paul got to this point, is again this eternal perspective that takes place before he existed, that takes place during his life in this body, and it takes place beyond the grave. When that's your reality, there's spaces that you go with contentment and peace and joy that the enemy cannot touch. That the circumstances around you in a crazy world are to be taken seriously, but you hold back to the center of all things, and that is God is God, and he sits on his throne, and he has us in the palm of his hands, and he will accomplish his purposes in this life and beyond. Amen? Let's get into Philippians. So Philippians 1, Paul, uh, chapter 1, verse 19 says this, For I know that through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that this will turn out for my deliverance. We're going to stop right here and think about this word provision. Uh, my desire is for, for my idea of God's provision in my life to really grow. There's, there's things that come to mind quickly, like food and shelter. Um, all the things that we need for life, just biological life. But Paul sees this more than that. He talks about provision of the Holy Spirit. The provision of relationships that God has placed in your life, where we can start to recognize this person is gifted to me by God. This person is a gift from God to bring encouragement, to bring challenge, to bring finance, to bring prayer, where God's provision goes so far beyond just the material things and the food that we thank Him for. And then more than that, the provision of the Holy Spirit. Listen to, again, Paul, but this is in Romans 5. 8 through 10, it says, But God has proven his love for us in this. 
While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Therefore, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from the wrath through him? For if when we were enemies of God, we were reconciled to him through his death, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? So the main provision that, that Paul's pointing out here is the provision of atonement to substitute Christ's life for mine, where what the wrath that I deserve, think about what we were saved from. We were saved from the just wrath of God that was aimed at me until Christ stepped in the way. So the provision of the Son of God and the sacrifice of God, but it goes beyond that, when it says, we've been justified by his blood, how much more will we be saved or made whole by his life? So this goes back to Philippians, where it's the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. If you've been in this church long, you understand we talk about the, the cleansing of forgiveness is a glorious and beautiful thing. But the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is that which allows me to have purpose and meaning today and beyond. So as you think about God's provision, as you praise him for his provision... Again, begin to get in the habit, if not already, of his provision for not only his death, but his resurrection and the gift of the Holy Spirit. It goes on to say that this will turn out for my deliverance. Verse 20, it says, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. So this is interesting because Paul's in prison and he's talking about deliverance. Uh, we'll go on further, but I really think he expects to be delivered from prison. I think he has this expectation that God will deliver him from his current situation. But that's not where he puts his ultimate hope, is it? How do we know that? He goes on to say, God's going to be exalted whether by my life or my death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which shall I choose? Or which would I prefer? I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. In other words, to die. For that is far better. Verse 24, but to remain in the flesh, and this, this, this use of the word flesh just means body, physical, is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all. So again, he gives us this picture. He's pretty sure God's going to deliver him from prison. To continue with you all for your progress and join the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So, if we go back up and recognize Paul's definition of deliverance, uh, is pretty interesting, isn't it? His definition of deliverance goes from, and my encouragement to you is when, when you're in a situation that you desire delivered from, uh, whether it be an emotional issue, whether it be tough relationships whether it be physical ailments, we all long for deliverance from certain things. And we forever will continue to long from deliverance while we're on this planet. And I think it's good and right for us to continue to pray for deliverance out of those things and go on each other's behalf to pray for deliverance out of circumstances. And m many of you maybe have been granted with some deep faith that God, you have confidence in that, that God will bring you out of that. But what I see in Paul and what I've experienced in my life is as much as we pray towards those things, as much as we maybe believe towards those things, we have something more sure. We have the eternal promises of God that says, I will, in fact, deliver you. What God doesn't heal now, he will heal then. We just prayed about it. And so I see this heart posture in Paul. I've tasted it myself. I've seen it in many of you that put your faith in Jesus and what he can do now, but put your ultimate faith in Jesus and what he will do then. Unpacking verse 21, it says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain, Paul says. In Galatians 2.20, Paul echoes the same words, to live is Christ. He says this, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives through me. And the life which I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Colossians 1.29, also Paul, 
says this, For this end I toil, and this end, he's talking about continuing to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, which is Christ in you. He says, For this end I toil, the message of the gospel, struggling with all of his energy that he powerfully works within me. So for Paul, he has experienced so much intimacy with the Spirit of God. He, he believes so fully that Christ inhabits his life that he's not even sure where he ends and God begins. Not in an unhealthy way, but he understands that he's a partaker of divine nature. So he says, I work hard to proclaim the gospel, yet not I, but Christ in me. We toil. So my encouragement to you, brothers and sisters in Christ, is to embrace and recognize and receive the fact that God can and desires to use you, and I believe God will use you in the lives of people around you, and sometimes people that are watching that you don't even know. What does that look like? Not totally sure in your life. If you're a husband, I bet it means to consider your wife. If you're a mom, I bet it means to engage and pay attention to your kids. If you have a boss, honor him. Do your work wholeheartedly as unto the Lord. Older brothers and sisters, it probably means be kind to your siblings. As awkward as it might feel if you're not in the habit, let them know you're glad they're in your life. That's how God is going to use you on street level. When we continue to surrender to that spirit within us and allow him to just serve the people around us. There's this great picture of this in, um, in the Gospels. Forgive me, I can't remember which one. Uh, I want to say Luke, probably in a couple of them. Jesus is sitting there eating supper with his disciples. And it says, when he recognized that the Father has given him all things, that he has come from the Father, and that he is returning to the Father, he rose and began to wash his disciples' feet. So you think about the things that took place in Jesus' heart and mind and soul before he washed the disciples' feet. He understood his position and his stance with his Father. He knew who he was. He knew that he was loved. He knew where he came from, and he knew where he was going. I'm convinced when we come to understand that we have been redeemed and made right and reconciled by Jesus Christ, when I come to understand that God is for me, as we sang, that God is coming to get me again one day, that puts me in a position where I can stop clamoring to get attention. I can stop clamoring to try to figure out who I am or find myself, and I can start serving people. I can start washing people's feet. When you know you have been washed, it empowers you to wash others. Second Corinthians five fourteen and 15 says this, For the love of Christ controls us, because if we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Continuing to go back to Philippians and this is Paul's stance, right? He says, man, when I sit in my prison cell and I think about uh, death that could be very close and very near and very real, something in me gets excited because I know I will be with Christ. However, I know he still wants to use me in your life. I know he still has purpose. So I'm not even sure which I'd choose if God allowed me to choose it, but I'm pretty convinced he's going to free me from this prison cell, which we know he does, Right? We'll talk about that another time. And Paul goes on to continue to express what he is his highest calling. And that's to, he was, he was obsessed with glorifying the person of Jesus Christ. In Paul's life, Jesus was everything. And something in me knows that, but it is so easy for me to start getting consumed with other things. And I need to continue to be reminded and brought back by the reality that I exist for the purpose of glorifying my king. That I belong to him. That it's by his grace that I'm here. And the cool thing is, once you come to understand and realize that, probably the happiest person in the room. 
And that's something the world will never get. Understand your place with God, as Paul did. Understand his deep love for you. And you can stop looking out for yourself in the way that the world does. And next thing you know, joy and peace come flooding upon you. And we just need to stand underneath that. Continues in verse 27, it says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ. You should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engage in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So again, Paul is, is pretty real. Uh, as much hope and zeal and excitement and passion that he puts towards joy and rejoicing, uh, he understands suffering probably more than most of us. And so he recognizes heartache and loss. And he's telling the Philippians, understand this, that there's going to be opposition. There is suffering, and there's likely going to be more. Do you ever, ex- how about now, do we, uh, do we experience some opposition? We do. Do we need to pay attention to that? We need to understand it's there. Some of you might be called to pay more attention than others. That's okay. So we recognize and understand that there is opposition to the gospel. There's opposition to God's kingdom and his way of life. There's going to be suffering in your life, sometimes as a direct result of opposition, and other times as a result of living in a fallen world. And Paul says, understand, I'm a realist, that there will be suffering and that will build. And it says, just like you are called to union with Christ in furthering the gospel and in the joy that he gives, you're also called to union with him in his suffering. All of us at some point take our place on the cross. But even in that, Paul continues with a hope that is beyond. Does he not? And so he says, fret not. God's doing a thing. And he's continuing to do a new thing in our country and in our lives. Great picture in Daniel 3 of this scenario where there's opposition, there's pushback to the current situation, but there's hope beyond the current situation. This is with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, where they are called by Nebuchadnezzar to bow down and and worship him and and false gods and graven images. And here's here's their stance Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known, O king, that we will not serve your God or worship this golden image that we have set up. Again, we have this incredible picture of faith that says, God's able to deliver me from your fiery furnace. But even if he decides not to, we're not bowing down to you. You read in that the implied hope that death by a fiery furnace, probably not what they would choose, but they have full faith and hope that even beyond that, God will provide what they need. God will provide the strength, and God will reach into death to bring life for them. That's how you have confidence to face these things. That's how you have confidence to face tough situations, tough atmospheres, tough changing of culture, tough personal strife and loss, is when you come to understand that God's promises for you are now and for all time. Lastly, he says this as he's talking through opposition. Reminds me of verses in Matthew 10 says, and do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. He's reminding us, well, Matthew's reminding us, and it seems real similar to Paul's language here towards the end of uh, this piece of scripture, when he's saying it's a clear sign to them of their destruction, but to you salvation, and that salvation is from God. He's reminding us that God is still God. 
that God is in control, that God reigns now and he always will. But that God who is that vast and that big and that grand has done something personal to Paul. So my encouragement for myself, my encouragement to you, is to understand and honor God in fear and trembling as the creator and sustainer of all things, but to fully embrace and understand and recognize that he longs to continue to do something deep and personal in your life and in your heart. And when we surrender every bit of our lives to him, we get favor, we get blessing. Lastly, Proverbs 14 says this, Holy living builds soaring cathedrals. This isn't a prosperity gospel by way of material things. But in my mind, soaring cathedrals are peace and joy regardless of where you find yourself. Soaring cathedrals is having a purpose every single day you wake up. Holy cathedrals is knowing that you're okay. And it isn't contingent upon all the stuff that you do. It's Jesus and his grace. While the worship team comes up, I'm going to pray for you and me. Father, I am... It's an encouraging thought to know that uh, as we read the history of a group of people in a city called Philippi, and we read the history of a man named Paul that you redeemed and radically changed his life, that you used, that we're continuing to read basically his mail to his friends and being encouraged by uh, coming to understand God more fully, that all of that is still going on in a totally different setting, but the same God and the same message. That we are in desperate need for deliverance from our sin and selfishness. That we are in desperate need to be delivered from the, the rat race of trying to perform and clamor for other people's approval. That we need delivered from the just wrath of God upon our sin. And that Jesus has done all necessary to save us from that. And not only that, but to infuse us and provide for us union with him. And let us, like Paul, just embrace that. And may the, the line where we stop and you start, start to be hard to distinguish. Because we are so surrendered to you. And may our ultimate focus and calling be to glorify you and to experience your love. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Nick. Many years back, uh, I went through a physical breakdown, and and I had extreme vertigo, and it, this went on for months, and I didn't know, you know, if I was ever gonna, you know, be able to like live a normal day where I didn't have to go lay down, and uh, I was, what well, God met me in such an incredible way there and I realized it was okay either way you know and I was driving down Canyon Lake Drive and I started singing someday I'll rise up and be with you someday I'll rise up and be with you with your grace and by faith Lord I know it's true, someday I'll rise up with you. Let's sing that together, come on. Someday I'll rise up and be with you. Someday I'll rise up and be with you. With your grace and by faith, Lord. I know it's true, someday I'll rise up with you, and I'm going to see your face, someday I'll rise up and see your face, someday I'll rise up and see your face, 
present thing passes, and it ultimately will. We're going to rise up and be with him. Amen? So we will see you Wednesday night, hopefully. Have a blessed day. Oh,